Morning Orchard. Hey, take out your Bibles this morning, your mobile devices, whatever you choose to use, and turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 26 this morning. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. If you might happen to be a guest today and maybe don't have a Bible with you, we'll also put the scriptures on the screen for you. I'm excited today as we're starting a brand new three-week Christmas series called Fear Not. And we're looking at the, yeah, oh, somebody's excited about that. That's awesome. That encourages me. Uh, we're, we're looking these next three weeks at the Christmas story when an angel appeared to Mary and then an angel appeared to Joseph and then an angel appeared to the shepherds. And each of the three times the angel said this, help me church, fear Fear not, fear not. Now next week we're going to look at the story of Joseph when the angel came to Joseph and told him to fear not and we're going to deal with the fear of what people think about us instead of worried more about what God thinks about us. The third week on Christmas Sunday, the Sunday before Christmas, we're going to look at when the angel shows up to the shepherds and says fear not and we're going to talk about a fear of how our standing with God. Where do we stand with God? Today we're going to talk about the fear of what God is asking me to do. The fear of what God is asking me to do. We're going to see an angel angel appeared to a teenage virgin named Mary and asking her to trust God and do something incredible. I think sometimes we tend to treat God uh, the way we treat other people that we're worried might ask us to do something. We tend to avoid them. You, you know what I'm talking about? Like you'll have somebody call, you'll look at your cell phone and you'll see who it is and you'll be like, oh, I'm just going to let that go to voicemail. Anybody besides me do that? You know, you're like, because I don't know what they're going to ask. They're going to want me to do something. They're going to want some money. They're going to take all my time. Or maybe you're in the grocery store and you see so-and-so. And don't point them out right now, okay? But you see so-and-so and you're like, okay, let's just go down this aisle over here because I really love them and I care about them. But if I stop and talk to them, they're going to have me for a really long time and take my And we tend to kind of avoid people that might ask us to do something or want something from us. I remember a few years ago, I was in Atlanta uh, I was at a conference and I was leaving Atlanta and I was in the Atlanta airport. I was standing in the security line and there was this really tall guy in front of me, about three people up. Now, all guys are tall to me, but this guy was really, really tall, <laughs> taller than the normal tall to me. And I see this guy and I mean, he looks really athletic and, I, and he's by himself. He's dressed really nice. And I'm like, man, I know this guy. This guy looks familiar. And then it hits me. It's John Schmoltz. Uh, Hall of Fame pitcher from the Atlanta Braves, and he's standing in the security line. About the time I realize who it is, a few other people start realizing, and they start pointing to him, and then you can tell people are like, okay, who's going to ask for his autograph first and, and want something from, from him? And he did something incredible. He reached into his pocket, and he grabbed his cell phone, and he put it up to his ear. Nobody had called him, and he didn't call anybody. But he's acting like he's on the phone the rest of the way through the line. And so nobody wanted to bother him. And he was trying to avoid people that he thought might want something from him. And I just have to confess to you, Orchard Church. I, I want to come clean and confess to you, Orchard Church. Uh, not too long ago, I was running late for dinner. Shelly had dinner you know, about ready on the table. She told me to go buy King Supers and grab something. I was in a big hurry. And when I go to King Supers in our community, I see like 80% of Orchard Church. And so I tried it, and I grabbed my phone, I put it to my ear. I saw some of you, and I'm like, you know. So will you forgive me, Orchard Church, because it, it worked. I tried to avoid. So if you see me out in public, and I'm on my phone, I may or may not be talking to someone. But sometimes we do that with God. We, we treat God that way. We, we view God that way. We, we want to be close enough to God to get the goodies, 
and to get the blessings and get the promises and, you know, make sure he pays attention to our prayer list. But we don't want to be so surrendered and committed to God that he might ask us to do something we don't really want to do. And we can try to kind of avoid God because we have this fear of what God might ask us to do. You know, because if I'm fully committed and surrendered to God, what if he asked me to go to Africa? And be a missionary. What if he asked me to give up something in my life that I really don't want to give up? I want to hang on to. What, what if he asked me to marry somebody ugly and I have ugly kids that remind me I married somebody ugly? Did I cross the line there? Is that just, listen, I'm just trying to be real, okay? For all you holier-than-thou people, you just sit there, polish your halo. I'm going to talk to the real people today that have real fears. Because we have these real fears. We have this fear. What if I surrender everything to God and he has a different purpose and plan for my life than what I had planned for my life? If you're with me, say yes. yes. It's a real fear. Fear of what God might ask us to do. You know, people have said fear is the opposite of faith. And there's some truth to that. But I would also suggest and challenge that fear is actually faith in the wrong things. It's displaced faith. It's faith in the what if. You know, there's a lot of people who live in the fear of what if, and their faith is the fear of what if. What if I lose my job? What if the economy falls apart? What if my spouse cheats on me? What if I or somebody I love gets cancer? What if I never get married? What if I marry a jerk? And I'm stuck with that. You know, there's this fear, fear of, of placing our faith in, in the what ifs. You know, what ifs, the worst case scenario that could possibly happen. And, and you know, Shelly and I, are going through this interesting time of our life right now. We are in what I would call transitional empty nesters. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We're not, we're not completely empty nesters, but we're in transition to being empty nesters. Our son is 20. He's off playing uh, baseball at a college in Nebraska. He's about eight, eight and a half hours away. And so we don't see him very often now. Um, we went like two months, didn't see him. He came over Thanksgiving, left again. We'll get to see him at Christmas. And then we won't get to see him again go for several months unless we travel to see one of his games. And so we, we have this fear. You know, our, our son is off on his own. Our daughter is 18. She just graduated. She's working a full-time job. Most nights now in our home, it's just Shelly and I having dinner together. It's just the two of us. And I have this fear. What if she doesn't just like me? You know, the kids are gone now. I mean, am I fun enough? Am I, you know, am I exciting enough to be around? And I, I have this fear, you know, do we train our kids up the right way? Are they going to make good decisions? Are they going to make good choices? Are they going to choose the right kind of friends? Are they going to choose the right career path? Who are they going to marry? You know, are they, are they going to give me some grandkids? You know, I mean, I have this fear. Are they ever going to want to come home and visit mom and dad? Here's another fear I have. Are they ever going to leave fully? <laughs> Amen, parents. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I have this fear. What if, you know, Caleb graduates college and then he just moves back in and we're still paying the bills? I have a fear of that. <laughs> Keeps me up at night sometimes. But here's the deal. We don't have to be afraid as believers in Jesus Christ. Paul said it this way in 2 Timothy 1.7. He said this. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We don't have to walk in fear. We can walk in faith. We don't have to be afraid. Turn to someone next to you and say, do not be afraid. That's what we're talking about today. Do not be afraid. Fear not. So why are we afraid? And what are we afraid of? I hope you'll take some notes this morning. They're on the back of your newsletter. Why are we afraid of what God might ask us to do. Let me give you two suggestions that we see right here in the Christmas story when the angel appeared to Mary. The first one is this, number one, God's interruptions are often inconvenient. 
The reason we sometimes are afraid of what God might ask us to do is because God's interruptions are inconvenient to our life and our plans and the direction we are wanting to go. And we see this in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. We'll read it together. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Now, we're talking about Mary, but we see Elizabeth. Who is this Elizabeth uh, person in the story? Elizabeth is a relative of Mary. Uh, she is well beyond the childbearing years. She cannot naturally have children, and yet now she is pregnant with a baby, and we know this baby as John the Baptist, and she's a relative of Mary. And God, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel who? Gabriel. Everybody say Gabriel. Gabriel. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. There's our Christmas story. This is where it begins. And, and this angel is named Gabriel. You see two angels by name in the Bible, the angel Gabriel and the, and the angel Michael, the archangel. Now, when we tend to think of angels, I think we think of the paintings we see of angels. You know, little fat bald baby, you know, on a cloud with a harp playing. That's what we tend to think of with angels. But as you read the Bible, what you find out is these angels. Angels are these created beings of God. They're warlike creatures. God could send an angel to defeat an entire nation of God's enemies. But God could also send an angel to minister to a family or a little child and protect them. And so this angel shows up to Mary. She's never met an angel before. And she was engaged, the Bible says, verse 27, she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman. It's a polite angel. He greets her. <laughs> and that's good because she would have probably been scared. The Lord is with you. Now, how does Mary respond to this angel showing up to this teenage virgin girl named Mary? I mean, is she excited? Is she happy? Is she like, cool, I always wanted to meet an angel. No, she does what all of us would probably do if an angel showed up, you know, one day to meet with us. She is freaked out. She is afraid. She is scared. We know that because it says in verse 29, let's read it together, say it, confused and disturbed. How many of you guys have ever found yourself confused and disturbed in life? She's confused. She is disturbed. She's a little freaked out. She's afraid. And Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Why is this angel showing up to me? And what I want to do in these next three weeks as we go through the Christmas story, some of us have heard the Christmas story year after year after year for many years. And I want us to take a behind-the-scenes look at some things that maybe we haven't seen before, maybe we haven't thought about before. What was really going on in the emotions and the spiritual life of these people in the story? And let me remind you of the context. Mary was engaged to a man named Joseph. And in this culture, when you were engaged, it was as if you were already married. You just weren't physically intimate yet. We're going to see this next week in the story of Joseph, in order to break off the engagement, he had to actually give her a bill of divorcement. You know, unlike today, if you're engaged and you want to just call it off, you just go on to somebody else. So she's engaged. Culture and history would tell us she's 14, 15, maybe 16 years of age at the most. Now, some of you teenagers are probably going to try to use this against your parents. You know, you're like 17, 18. You're like, I want to get married. I'm ready. You know, Mary was married at 14, 15. Let me remind you, teenagers, these were all arranged marriages by the parents. Can I have an amen, parents? So if we can choose who you're going to marry and set that up, then we'll talk, okay? And so she, she's got this arranged marriage with this man named Joseph, but she was probably excited about it. 
You know, this is modern day. She's excited to get married. She's probably on the internet and she's checking out Pinterest and planning out the best wedding and what's the coolest, latest thing. She's learning how to sign her last name for her checks. Uh, she's naming her kids. This is an exciting time for Mary. And then all of a sudden, God interrupts Mary's plans. And he tells her something she was not ready for. This was an inconvenient time in her life when this angel showed up. It was not convenient. This interruption was inconvenient. But I want you to grab this principle this morning, Orchard Church. If you don't hear anything else I say, hear this. What we call interruptions, God calls invitations. And it's okay if even one person gets excited about that and says amen, hallelujah, or something. Yeah, just, you know. I thought that was good. What, God, what we call interruptions, God calls invitations to something greater and better than we could ever imagine. And we see this throughout the scripture, story after story, where God interrupts someone's life. But that interruption really is an invitation to something God-sized and supernatural and amazing. Let me, let me remind you of a man named Moses who was shepherding his flock. And one day he sees this burning bush and it's not consumed. And he goes over and the bush starts talking to him. That would get my attention. And this burning bush starts talking to him, and it's the great I am. It's God himself, and God interrupts Moses' life. But that interruption was an invitation to lead the nation of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt and God's glory to be shown forth through his life. Let me remind you of a man named Jonah who one day is thrown out of a boat, and he's trying to swim to shore. And God interrupts his little swim with a big fish, and he swallows him. But that interruption led to an invitation where Jonah was used by God to share the gospel and a whole city of Nineveh was turned back to God. That interruption was an invitation. Let me remind you of a man named Joseph who was just trying to go about his business and his own brothers one day take him, throw him into a pit, interrupt his life by selling him into slavery. But that interruption ended up being an invitation because God saved the nation of Israel through his life, put him second in charge to Pharaoh. What was looking like an interruption became an invitation. Daniel one day got interrupted by being thrown in the lion's den, but it was an invitation for God to show his testimony, his glory. Do you remember the three Hebrew children? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they were thrown into a fiery furnace. That's an interruption in your life. But it was an invitation for them to show their faith and their trust in their great and good God. And then there was a man, we know him today as the Apostle Paul, but he, didn't know, he wasn't always called Paul. His name used to be, help me church, Saul. And one day he's walking on the road to Damascus. He is going, looking for Christians that he can arrest, put them in prison, have many of them executed. And God himself shows up on the road to Damascus with a blazing, blinding light. He gets saved and his life turns around 180 degrees. And he, God interrupts his life, but it was an invitation. And then Apostle Paul went on to write over half of our New Testament churches all over the known world and bring many people to Christ. What we call interruptions, our good and great God calls invitations. And that's exactly what is happening in the story with Mary. God interrupts her life, but it's an invitation. And I don't know how this has played out or might play out in your life, but some of you have your own interruption to invitation stories. Some of you, you're here at Orchard Church because somebody that loved you and cared about you, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, a family member, interrupted your life and kept bugging you to come to Orchard Church. And finally, to get them off your back, you said yes, and you thought you'd just get it over with, and you came to church, and you heard the praise music, 
God began to work in your heart. And that day, as God's word was opened and God's word was spoken, it was as if God was speaking directly to you as if no one else was in the room. And at the end of the service, you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. What you thought was an interruption became an invitation, and it changed your life forever. Amen? For some of you, you've had this kind of interruption that was led to an invitation. You, you were going through life, and you're busy like all of us, and you had plans and things you were doing. Somebody goes into the hospital, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, a, a, another person at Orchard Church, and, and you just feel like the Spirit of God is saying, you need to go visit them. You need to take a meal to them. You need to go and pray with them. And you had other things you could do, maybe even wanted to do, but you allowed God to interrupt your life. You go and you visit that person in the hospital or in their home, and you encourage them, and you walk away, and you realize that interruption was an invitation for you to be the hands and feet of Jesus in a real and powerful way in someone's life. And there's nothing greater. I have never stopped what I was doing to minister to someone else that I regretted it. Because it feels good to help somebody else, doesn't it? Yeah. It feels great to know that you have been used by God to minister to someone else. So some of you here at Orchard Church, you've allowed God to interrupt your life. You said, you know, I'm not going to be one of these Christians that just comes to church, you know, sits in my seat and gets up and leaves every week and just sits on the sideline but never gets into the game. And somewhere along the way, you allow God to interrupt your life. And you heard that we had a need uh, at our church. It takes two to 300 volunteers every week to serve in the three services, whether it be our children's ministry, our host team, or our greeters, or hospitality, set up, tear down. And you had other things you could be doing, maybe wanted to be doing. You wanted to get home and watch the Broncos game. But you said, you know, I'm going to allow God to interrupt my plans to be a part of what God is doing here. And, and you answered that invitation. And now you know that everything that God is doing in and through this church, when every time someone accepts Christ, every time someone gets baptized, every time someone's life is changed, you're a part of that. Amen? Amen. You're a part of that because you didn't just see it as an interruption. You saw it as an invitation. And what we call interruptions, God calls invitations. And it's always to something better and greater than we could have ever imagined. We see this in the story. Look at verse 30. In verse 30, now after she is confused... And she is disturbed and she's trying to figure out why is God interrupting my life with this angel. Verse 30, let's say it together, Orchard Church. Here's our thing. Don't be afraid. Okay, I said Orchard Church, not just the three people down here, okay? Let's say this together, verse 30. Don't be afraid, Mary. That's what the angel said. Don't be afraid, the angel told her, for you have found what? You found favor with God. How many guys would like to find favor with God? Wouldn't it be great to have an angel show up next week and say, good news, you have found favor with God. And God is about to do something in and through your life and do a favor for you. Now, if I'm Mary in this story and this angel shows up and says, don't be afraid, good news, you've found favor with God. And now you're getting ready to get married and all that. I'm thinking, man, I just won tickets, you know, to the reality show, you know, say yes to the dress or something. You know, I'm about to have my wedding paid for, my honeymoon paid for. Woo, this is going to be great. But as we're going to see in the story, God had greater plans and purposes for Mary's life than what she could have ever dreamed and imagined. Why are we afraid of what God might ask us to do? Because God's interruptions are often inconvenient. But God wants to see us to see those interruptions as invitations to join God in what he's doing. That leads us to the second thing. Why are we afraid of what God might ask us to do? Because God's purposes are often different than our plans. 
And we are afraid of that sometimes. We shouldn't be, but we are, if we're honest. All of us. God's purposes are often different than our plans for our life. Verse 31. The angel begins to reveal God's purposes and plans for Mary's life that are different than probably what she had in mind. And the angel said, you, verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son. And you will name him, what, church? Jesus. You will name him Jesus. Now, we've heard that so much. It's easy to just read over that. We know the story. We know what happens. But imagine when she hears these words for the first time. You're a teenager. You're not married. And you're a virgin. But you're going to have a baby. What are you talking about, Willis? Some of y'all got that. Some of y'all are like, ask, ask your mom and dad. They'll tell you. I mean, that, we just read over this stuff. This was not in her five or ten year plan, probably. This was not her plan. The angel goes on and says, he will be very great. He'll be called the son of the most high. This, not only are you going to have a baby, but you're going to have the son of God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over Israel forever and his kingdom will never end. Wow. We can only imagine the emotional roller coaster that Mary was probably on at this point. I mean, on one hand, she's like, I found favor with God. Who wouldn't want that? God's got a special message for me. This is awesome. I'm going to have the Son of God. How exciting, how incredible, how amazing. But on the other hand, she's probably thinking, but I'm a teenager, and I'm not married, and I'm a virgin, and what is everybody going to think? What is everybody going to say? Because let me remind you, church, in this culture 2,000 years ago, if you got pregnant out of wedlock, it was punishable by death. They could take you out of the city streets and stone you. And I'm not talking recreationally speaking, Orchard Church. It was with rocks. That was a real fear. What am I going to tell people? How am I going to explain this? Oh, yeah. And what am I going to say to my future husband that I'm not yet married to? Joey. Can you sit down? I got to tell you something. Okay. What is it, honey bunch? I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. It's the Son of God. That's probably exactly what he did. What? You've got to be kidding me. And what we're going to see, though, is God's purposes are way different than our plans. And I would suggest they're bigger and they're better and they're more amazing and more supernatural than what we could ever Think or imagine. I love the way Isaiah 55 says it. My thoughts. God says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. Can we have an amen to that? (laughs) Says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God's purposes are often different than our plans. They're more amazing. They're greater. And I I don't know how this might play out in your life. I don't know how maybe this has played out in your life. But maybe for some of you, I I know some families in in our church, they were excited they were going to have their first baby, their first child. 
And when that child was born, that child was born with special needs. Can you imagine the fear? Can you imagine the head scratching? Can you imagine the wondering, how are we going to care for this child? How are, we going to, how are we going to raise this child? How are we going to provide for this child? But many of those families will tell you that that child, it wasn't what they had planned, but it was one of the greatest blessings that God has ever brought into their life. God's purposes are different than our plans. They're better. They're greater. Uh, for some of you, maybe you, you had a job that you really enjoyed and you liked, and God, for some reason, closed the door. You got laid off. Whatever reason, that job was there no longer. And you thought, what am I going to do? You know, God, I've been trusting you. I've been faithful to you. I've been giving to you, and now I've lost my job. And what you realize is that God's purposes are different than your plans, but God opens another door, and it's better than what you had before. You know, we, we often say that when God closes a door, he opens what? A window? I like to flip that around. When God closes a window, he opens a door. And it's often greater and bigger and better and more wonderful than we could ever think or we could ever imagine because our thoughts are not like his thoughts and our ways are not like his ways. Maybe you, you've, been, you've faced a health challenge that came into your life and you didn't have that plan. That wasn't on your calendar. That wasn't on your to-do list. But that health challenge has brought you closer to the Lord than anything you've ever experienced in your life. And you've experienced what the Apostle Paul experienced when he said, my grace is sufficient for you. You know, Maybe there was somebody you thought you were going to marry and for whatever reason it didn't work out. Because God's purposes are different than our plans and they're better and they're greater. And God has the person for you that is to be your soulmate. God is the person for you that you can serve God together better than apart and, and do kingdom purpose things. We, we don't know. What, what oftentimes seems like a negative ends up being a positive. Amen? Because God's purposes are different than our plans. You know, Denver, Colorado, uh, maybe there's something to the fact that our Hall of Fame quarterback can't play right now, but now we got the Brock star, you know? It's a little different. It's not how we planned it, but it's working out okay so far. Now, now let me illustrate it this way, and, and this, this may not mean anything to you guys. This is a little bit controversial, I'll tell you right now, uh, but, but this, as I, I thought about this, you know, something in my life that maybe I, I didn't want to do and it, and it changed to something else and how God used it for good. And this may seem trivial and may seem silly to you, but, but it makes a spiritual point if you hang with me. For many years, like 20 years, um, my computer of choice was a PC. And I had a PC for like 20 years. And I was very comfortable with the PC. You know, I knew my way around the PC. And I had some of my friends that were, were using the other one, the Mac. And they kept telling me, oh, it's so much better than the PC. You need to switch to Mac. You know, because once you go Mac, you never go back. Yeah. And so I was like, no, no, I'm sticking with my PC because I was, I was scared. I was worried. I was nervous. I'm used to this. I'm efficient on this. Uh, you know, well, what I didn't tell them was, you know, most of the time it didn't work right. Uh, I, I would buy a laptop or a new computer, a PC, and for six months it would be great. And then it would start having problems. And I'd have to get somebody to, to fix it. You know, people that are on, on uh, PCs and love them, they're like, well, you can work on PCs easier than you can Macs. Yeah, because you have to. And so I was always having to get it fixed. And I literally was replacing my computer or my laptop about every year, year and a half, because I was so afraid and I was so scared and I was so worried to make the jump and make the switch from PC to Mac. And then finally, I decided to take the plunge, to take the step of faith. And so I went from PC to Mac a few years ago. 
and I was scared and I was nervous and I was afraid until I opened it up and it worked immediately. You know, my PC, I used to turn it on literally and I would go get coffee, breakfast, you know, a meeting, come back. Oh, now it's up and running. My, my Mac, it's like I open the lid and I've had my same MacBook laptop for like two and a half, three years now. Never one problem, never one issue. I open it up and it even makes that little noise. Woo! It's like angels from on high, angelic beings, you know, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. I almost think one day I opened it and I heard Steve Jobs say, fear not, Doug. I bring you good tidings of great joy. I, I, I really, it's been amazing. And did it take a little bit of getting used to? Yeah, like about a week. And it's been amazing how efficient it is, how powerful it is. I haven't had to get it fixed and I've had no problem. Now I say that, watch, my Mac will probably, you know, have problems. Some of you PC people will hack into my stuff, you know, because you know how to do that and make it, make it go down. And so oh, let me say this. If anybody from Apple online is watching out there, you can send referral checks to Doug Dameron at 10422 Heinz Way. Uh, but, but, but there's the difference. You say, okay, what does that have to do with what we're talking about? Here's the deal. Some of you all are settling for PC and God has a Mac for you. That's how it works. Some of you single ladies are dating a PC that always lets you down and doesn't run right. And God's got a Mac if you'll just trust it. There's a reason it's called a Mac Daddy, okay? I'm just throwing that out there for you. It's trying to help you out. Because God's ways are better than our ways, and we just got to trust Him. I love this. One of my favorite verses. I just made a lot of PC people mad, but all the Mac people, yeah. I love this. One of my favorite verses, Jeremiah 29, 11. God says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for what, church? For good and not for disaster and to give you a future and to give you a hope. God's purposes are different than our plans. They're better. They're greater. Are they a little scary? Are they a little hard to get used to sometimes? Yes, but in the end, they're so much better. And we see this in the story. Mary is nervous. She's confused. She's a little bit afraid. And in verse 34, she does what we would do. She asks a question of the angel. Mary asks the angel, help me out. What does she ask the angel? But how can this happen? Let's do that again. What does she say? But how can this happen? She says, I'm a virgin. How can this happen? I hear what you're telling me. I want to believe. I want to trust. But how can this happen? How many of you like me have ever asked that question in your life to God? But how can this happen? How can this happen? And again, I want you to think about this story. I mean, when the angel told this to Mary, this was impossible, humanly speaking. This was not natural, but as we're about to see, it will be supernatural. It seemed impossible. It seemed absurd what the angel was telling Mary, this Virgin Mary, what is going to happen. This would be, to give you some context, this would be just as absurd if next week an angel came to Pastor Doug and said, Okay, Doug, here's the deal. The Denver Nuggets have been struggling this year, and they're looking for a point guard, and they're going to call you. <laughs> laugh it up. Go ahead. Laugh it up. That's impossible. That's absurd, you know? That's not going to happen. And that's what Mary has got to be thinking here. How, I mean, she asked the natural question. How can this happen? And I don't know how this is going to speak to someone this morning. 
But I'm telling you, God is going to speak to some of you, and you're going to understand that what looks like an interruption in your life is an invitation to God's purposes and plans, and he is going to make the impossible possible in your life. And you're going to ask the question, but how could this happen? How could this happen? How, God, can you turn my marriage around that's hanging on by a thread? There's been too much pain. There's been too much hurt. There's been too much betrayal. How can this happen? God, I have this wound I've been carrying all of my life. How is that wound ever going to be healed? How am I going to get victory over this wound? How can this happen? God, how can I overcome this habit that I know is hurting me? It's hurting the people I love. It's not honoring you. How can I finally get victory and freedom from this habit? How can this happen? How can I, God, forgive others? as you have forgiven me? How can I pay this bill that I don't know where the money's going to come from? How can I survive this trial and this obstacle in my life? How can I see this relationship mended and restored? How can this happen, God? We've all been there. And Mary is like, how can this happen? And the angel then says, I'll tell you how it's going to happen. Here's how it happened in Mary's life, and here's how it can happen in our life. Verse 35, the angel replied, let me tell you how it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. This is not natural. This is supernatural. Can I have an amen? amen? This is supernatural. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This is not something man-sized. This is something God-sized. This is not something you can do, but this is something God can do. So the baby to be born will be holy. He'll be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. In other words, God has done it before. He can do it again. And then it says this. Let's say it together. For nothing is impossible with God. Do you believe that, Orchard Church? Nothing. How can this happen? Because nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Can God change your spouse Yes. Can you change your spouse? No. no. But with God, it's possible. Can, can you heal your friend? No. But can God? Yes. yes. Can you save your friend or loved one that doesn't know Christ? No. You can tell, share the gospel, but you can't save them. But can God? Yes. yes. Nothing is impossible with our good and great God. So when we ask, how can this happen? God says, I'll tell you how it can happen. Through the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Most High. He still has just as much power as he did 2,000 years ago. Amen? Amen? He's not depleted on any of his power. I want, to, I want you to make this very, very practical in your life today. I have this question on your notes. What is God asking you to do or to believe and trust him for right now in your life that seems impossible? That seems impossible, but that God, through his power, and his spirit could make possible. For some of you, you know exactly what it is. You're writing it down right now. God has been preparing you for this moment and this day. For some of you, you're going to have to think about it. You're going to have to pray about it. Maybe it'll come to you this week. Maybe something God is preparing you with this message because something is around the corner that you don't know about but God knows about. How is God going to ask you to trust him? How is God going to ask? What is he going to ask you to do or to believe that's impossible? Maybe he's going to ask you to start something. To be obedient to him. Maybe he's going to ask you to stop something. Maybe he's going to ask you to share your faith. 
Maybe he's going to ask you to serve in a certain way. Maybe he's going to ask you to start finally tithing and giving your first and best and believing the rest will be blessed. Maybe he's going to ask you to say, you know, isn't it time you finally got into small group at Orchard Church as we launch next semester because you need to have other Christians in your life that are encouraging you and loving you and praying for you. And all the small group people should be amening right now and encouraging those who are not in small group. It's important to be in small group. Amen? Amen. Maybe it's time for you to finally go, you know, 2016 is the year that I'm finally going to be discipled. I'm going to allow someone else to take the word of God and curriculum and walk me through so that I have a strong biblical foundation to lead my home, to lead my family, to lead my kids, to lead other people that I care about. Some of you, maybe God is working in your life. And he's calling you into full-time ministry. Do you believe that God might be calling some people into full-time ministry right here at Orchard Church? I do. We're praying for that. We're asking God for that. As we continue to expand this ministry, we're always adding people to our team. As we are planning and praying to start other churches and campuses, we're going to need people to serve in ministry at those. Maybe God is speaking to you in that way. You think that's not possible. Well, with God it is. With God it is. Maybe there's a relationship that needs to be mended. Maybe God's calling you to adopt or foster a kid and you go how can this happen it doesn't seem possible maybe god's asking you to step out of faith and take some new business venture or start a business what is it that god is asking you to do or to believe and trust him for that seems impossible and what will your response be let me give you two thoughts about our response obedience orchard is our responsibility amen obedience is our responsibility Mary has a choice whether to obey or not. Outcome is God's responsibility. And that's really good. I'm going to say it again. Obedience is our responsibility. And the outcome is God's responsibility. Well, God, if you'll tell me now the outcome, then I will obey. That's not how it works, is it? That's not faith. That's not trust. And without faith, the Bible says, it is impossible to please God. God is going to ask us to do some things that seem impossible. He's going to ask us to believe some things that may seem impossible. But we're going to say this. I'm going to obey, and then I'm going to trust God with the outcome. I will obey immediately, even when I do not understand fully. That's what someone of faith does. I believe that with God, he can make the impossible possible. And I'm going to obey and trust God with the outcome. You know, we just concluded our legacy campaign a couple weeks ago. And I've been starting to get emails and stories where people have taken obedient steps of faith to commit. And now they're telling me what God is doing in their life. They just obeyed and trusted God to the outcome. And I want to read you one of them that I received. It was such a blessing. This lady writes this. Can I say just ever since, uh, that ever since Legacy Commitment Sunday, God has been a little show-offy. I like that. She says, I've been fixing computers on the side for a little extra income for the family. Probably a bunch of PCs. Oh, sorry. My bad. Sorry. And I've been, I've been getting, she says, maybe one computer a week or so, sometimes none at all. We prayed and decided on a step of faith for the legacy commitment amount. And even though it's tight each month being on one income on a family of three, we immediately, when we got out of church that Sunday, I had three messages from people needing help on their computers. They were literally lined at my door to drop their computers off. Then I had a business client who'd had, had several big jobs for me that brought in a significant amount of money. He then referred his father, whom I helped over the phone, and got paid for that too. This is the most work I've had since I started my business. So far since Sunday, just three, year, three days ago, I have already made over three times our monthly legacy commitment amount. 
She said, God is so amazing. My husband and I have discussed giving extra off of this income, and apparently God thinks that's a really great idea. Can we celebrate that? Isn't that awesome? That is a perfect illustration of what we're talking about. What is God asking you to do that seems impossible, but God could make possible? Obedience is our responsibility. Outcome is God's responsibility. Mary has a choice to make. She has a response to give. Let's see what she did. After she hears that nothing is impossible with God, verse 38, Mary responded, and I love this, I am the Lord's servant. Do you hear the spirit in that? I'm the Lord's servant. He is my master. He is my owner. He is my creator. He is my savior. I'm his servant. I'm going to do whatever he asks me to do. Mary then said, may everything you have said about me come what? Come true. And the angel left her. Mary said, I will not be afraid. I'm going to see this interruption as an invitation to allow God's purposes and plans to be revealed through my life. And I'm going to trust that God will make the impossible possible. I'm going to choose to obey and I'm going to trust God with the outcome. May we, Orchard Church, follow the example of a teenage virgin 2,000 years ago who God used to miraculously change the world. And may he change our world today as well as we respond in the same manner as she did. Father, thank you for the story, your word. Lord, may we see interruptions as invitations to join your purposes and plans for our life, believing that your thoughts are greater than our thoughts, your ways are greater than our ways. May we not be afraid of what you ask us to do, even when it seems impossible, because we know you are a God who makes the, poss the impossible possible, and may we trust you with that. As we continue in an attitude of prayer right now, let me ask you this question. As believers in Jesus Christ, how will you respond to this message? I want to ask you to do thing, two things. Will you be willing to pray and then be willing to obey? Pray this question. God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to believe? For some of you, you already have the answer. For others of you, God's going to reveal that answer to you in the days ahead. Will you pray? God, what do you want me to do or believe? That seems impossible. I'm going to pray, and then God, whatever you reveal, I will obey. I'm going to obey you, and then I'm going to trust you with the outcome. If God has spoken to your heart in that manner this morning about something in your life, can I pray for you? Would you slip up your hand all across this auditorium? God bless you. Thank you, hands. Yes, I want to pray. God, what do you want me to do or believe? And I will trust God with the outcome. Anyone else? Just put up your hand for prayer. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hands everywhere. Father, I just uh, pray for those this morning that you're speaking to in a very real and relevant, personal way. I, I know there are people in here this morning that you've been preparing them for this day and this message, and there's something in their life that seems impossible. And they've been asking the question, how can this happen, God? How are you going to work this out? I pray today that they will be encouraged to trust you and obey you and trust you with the outcome, that they would view any interruption in their life as an invitation to join your plans and purposes for their life that are greater than what they could ever imagine. That you reveal that for your honor and for our good in our lives. Heads bowed.
continue in prayer. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, here we are in the middle of the Christmas season. The whole reason for the season is Jesus. Jesus is the reason for the season. God sent his son 2,000 years ago, not just to be born in a manger so that we could sing songs about that and we could put up decorations. But that baby grew to be a man that lived a perfect sinless life and he was willing to be falsely accused and arrested and put on a cross and crucified to provide for us the greatest gift we could ever receive at Christmas or any time of the year, the gift of eternal life, the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. And maybe you're here this Christmas season and of all the gifts you're preparing to receive, have you prepared to receive the greatest gift, the gift of Jesus, the gift of salvation? If you've never received that gift by faith, you can today, right now, in this place, in this moment, right where you sit. I want to lead you in a prayer of faith where you can invite Jesus into your life. This isn't a magic prayer or magic words, but if you put faith and belief behind it, Jesus will come into your life. He will forgive you of your sins. He'll give you a home in heaven and a personal relationship with Him. Not religion, a relationship. So if that's you today, and God is speaking to your heart, and you know it, you say, you know what, I'm, t- I'm not going to put Jesus off any longer. I'm not going to put this decision off any longer. I'm going to put my faith in Him. I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to obey Him, and I'm going to trust Him with the outcome of my life. If that's you today, would you pray this prayer of faith with me from your heart to God's? It goes like this. Jesus, I ask you to come into my life today. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Forgive me of all my sins. I accept the gift of eternal life. I want to know you. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me and dying for me. Thank you for eternal life. Thank you. As we continue in an attitude of prayer, no one looking around. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I would never want to do that, but I'd love the privilege and honor to pray for you. If you prayed that prayer of faith for the very first time, I'd love to pray that you grow in your personal walk and relationship with Jesus from this day forward. We can try to help you in any way. Would you just slip up your hand? Yes, I prayed that prayer of faith. God bless you. Thank you. Just put up your hand. Put it down. Yes, I prayed that prayer of faith. God bless you, ma'am. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Anyone else? Yes, I prayed that prayer of faith. I invited Jesus in my life today. Several people. Thank you. We pray for you. Father, I thank you for those putting their faith and trust in you today as Lord and Savior. Thank you that they were willing to open their heart and life and receive the greatest gift that they could ever receive, the gift of everlasting life. Lord, we we welcome them into the family of God as brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, We celebrate today like the angels in heaven are celebrating over the decision. And Lord, may we follow the example of a teenage girl 2,000 years ago that was willing to put her faith and trust in you and to allow your interruption to be an invitation to join your plans and purposes to change the world. And it may it change our world and the world around us as well today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can somebody help me welcome some new people into the family of God this morning? Amen. 
you made a decision for Christ this morning, you raised your hand and said, yes, I prayed that prayer of faith, please let us know about that on your connection card. You can drop an offering bucket when it goes by so we can continue to pray for you. If you're a first-time guest this morning, thanks so much for being our guest here at Orchard Church. Hopefully you filled out that guest connection card. You can drop in the offering bucket when it goes by. We are not interested in your money today, guests, but we're definitely interested in you. We're going to send you a thank you note and a gift in the mail, so please let us know that you're here. I would love to meet you personally if you're a first-time guest or you've been coming for a while and I haven't yet got an opportunity to meet you personally. I'll be hanging out at the white tent right there in the courtyard uh, when you leave today. Were you guys encouraged by the first week of Fear Not? Hope you guys were. I enjoyed bringing it to you guys. Um, Come next week. You don't want to miss the story of Joseph. When the angel appears to Joseph, we're going to talk about the fear of what other people think more than being concerned about what God thinks. I know none of you ever deal with that. You're never worried about what other people think about you. But if you know anybody that does, be sure to invite them and bring them next week as we continue uh, this series together. Let's stand as we close in response of worship. Worship through our gifts to the Lord. God bless you guys for being here. Have a wonderful day. Love you, Orchard Church. God bless.